Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Whether it's with someone close to you or someone you just met, sharing your faith can be difficult, but our God knows the challenge and his word contains wisdom for how to meet that challenge. In our current series, Living an Intentional Life, we're learning about the five eyes of evangelism. Identify, invest, intercede, inform, and invite. These five steps will help you to build a biblical strategy for bringing the gospel to others and watching for God to multiply your efforts. We're glad you're listening and we hope this series will renew your commitment to spread the good news. Now let's listen in. I'm really glad that you're here. My name is Nick Allen, and I get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. And so I want to say welcome today, particularly to those of you who are here for the very first time. I apologize in advance for the amount of coffee that I've consumed this morning already. Um, if you wanted a service that was less, ah, you should have come at 9 o'clock. Um, <laughs> We're in a series that's five weeks long. This is week three of a series called Living an Intentional Life. And it literally is about the gospel that we preach and the gospel message that we proclaim out there for unbelievers to get to see and know and understand the truth that is God's good news. We talked about what it means to identify people in your life that you want to pray for and that you want to share the gospel with. We talked about what it means to invest into those relationships and to cultivate those opportunities to earn the rights to be heard to be able to share that gospel message. And today we talk about the idea of interceding for people, what it means to pray for others. You have now done the math, realizing that if this is week three, we have two more of these before we head into the holiday season. We'll do a stories of Thanksgiving message. We'll all eat way too much turkey. We'll come back for Christmas. And then all of a sudden it's 2023. So I want to go ahead and preemptively wish you a happy new year. It's going to fly by folks. But it's this season of life um, that, that we may have more of an opportunity to plant seeds of faith and to express the good news of the gospel more than any other time during the year. So we want to make the most of the opportunities that we've been presented to proclaim the name of Jesus and to tell people who he is and what he's done for us and what he also offers to them. As somebody who's a new high school dad, my girls are in ninth and 10th grade and they attend Hillsborough High School here in Nashville. They spend quite a bit of free time now. Like when your kids get to high school, you start to see them less. And they go to the Green Hills Library after school because that's what good nerdy children do and we're real proud of them. Or at least that's what we thought. Um, because they go to the library after school and we call them or send them a quick text message, thank you technology, to let them know that we're on the way. And several months ago, it was my turn to go and pick up. And so I began calling my ninth grader sending her text messages saying that I was on the way, um, letting her know that I was going to be there pretty soon and to go ahead and meet me outside because we had a timeline and we got to get to the next place, so I need you to be ready. And she's not answering. She's not responding to the text messages. The phone calls are going to voicemail, and I can only assume that it's because she's got her phone on silent and the library is a quiet shh place. 
Finally, I get her on the phone and I can literally not hear a sound that's coming from her mouth because of the noise that's happening all over the background. I was like, I thought you were at the library. And she's like, I am at the library. Then why does it sound like a rave? Because in the Green Hills Library, there's a teen room. So they're not going there. Maybe one kid is, but the rest of them are not going there to do all their homework in the afternoon. They're going there to literally live it up and have all manner of mayhem. And there's no old lady walking around going, shh, shh, you're in the library because they are just living the life. Enter Luke chapter 15 and some stories that Jesus told. It says in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along on the app and kind of check out what we're reading today. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, and you're immediately thinking, oh, that's why he told us the story about the teenagers at the Green Hills Library. It's not, but hang on. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you know in first century that that was a big deal. To, to literally sit around the table with someone didn't just mean that you had an acquaintance. It didn't just mean that you had a friendship. It literally meant that you endorsed and that you believed that you guys were on the same page of life. And that's why the Pharisees had such a hard time with the particulars of who Jesus would spend time with. And so then Jesus did what he always did. He told him a story that's should have made sense. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And I think Jesus told this story as a way to make sense to the people, but it still didn't make sense to me. Because if I've got 99 sheep and they're all fine, if just one goes away, I'm going to let that one loose because the 99 are what matter in the moment, not so much because it says in verse 5, when he finds it, the shepherd, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Oh, he's expressing a value. He's telling us something important. He says in verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. It's literally the equivalent of like an entire day's wages. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We have a picture of a party happening in heaven. And so let's not assume that it's some ethereal, heavenly, kind of like, shh, you're on holy ground kind of place. There's Mm, 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 mm. The angels are partying it up and having a good time every single time one person comes. There's something happening there that we don't quite understand. And it's shocking to our system to believe that it could literally be that much fun in the library. It's literally that much joy and that much rejoicing in heaven over just one. And so scripture is giving us a picture it's in your notes this morning. If you want to follow along, if you like to write things down on your app or on your notes to help you stay awake and remember things that we talk about later. An intentional life is a prioritized one. It's one that says, hey, I know what matters. I know what's important. I know what's of value. We talk about the woman who literally loses one out of 10 and you're thinking, oh, that's not that big of a deal. She can hang on to just that. No, she literally drops everything and goes and finds that Jesus is espousing a value. He's telling us what a heavenly priority is. Here's the deal about you and me. We seek and we celebrate what matters. 
We, we seek and we celebrate what matters. You know that yesterday people were celebrating a lot of victories, and they were also celebrating a lot of losses. Like if your team won, you're celebrating the victory. If somebody else's team lost that you don't like that team because they're an opponent that they maybe beat you last time, or you're about to face them in the future and you want their record to go, you're literally celebrating their, people are celebrating all manner of things all the time. Why? We celebrate what matters to us. We celebrate what's important to us. And Jesus opens up the curtain and gives us a picture of what's important to heaven. This is the moment in scripture where he tells us what causes rejoicing, why the angels are celebrating, why there's a party on the other line, because we seek and celebrate what matters. Make no mistake, spiritual lostness is what matters. My first ministry teaching job was in the state of North Carolina. I worked for the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. It is not as glamorous as it sounds. I mean, I traveled the state into youth groups and to churches and to campsites teaching youth pastors how to equip their kids to share their faith in public schools, and then also teaching students how they might understand lost people in the world and make a difference in their communities by sharing their faith. And one of the classes that we did was all about this picture of spiritual lostness. It it was this picture of what it meant to to know and to follow Jesus and to communicate God's good news and to tell them, like you literally had to understand the people that you were attempting to reach. So I put a table in your worship guide notes this morning and I'm going to attempt through the power of technology to fill it in with you. There are three types of unchurched. We don't call them lost. We didn't call them unread. We literally call them unchurched people, people that don't have a connection to a local church and therefore the gospel that's being communicated. The first are uninformed. Look at that. And these are people that, that, that just need somebody to tell them, like people that literally have not known yet. And we talk about this idea across the globe of the 1040 window, that latitude and longitude around the equator that says, hey, the people in this region, the people all across the globe are far less likely to have a Bible in their language. They're far less likely to have a missionary in their community. They're far less likely to have somebody that's there to reach them, a gospel in the language that they understand. And so these people need to be reached and they're not ignorant because they just don't have what they need. They're uninformed. And the next group of people would be those who are antagonistic. These are those who have heard some sort of factoid, some sort of representation, some sort of understanding of of who Jesus is, some sort of understanding of what Christmas means and why Easter is important. And yet, for whatever reason or another, they have not believed that that good news was for them. They haven't trusted that God loves them that much. There's some sort of antagonism in their life that says, I just can't believe that. And sometimes it's because I can't believe in a God who would allow X, Y, Z in the world or XYZ in my life. Like, I can't believe in a God who doesn't do things the way that I expect him to do things. I can't believe in a God that would allow that much shock to go on between my life and what reality is, and I can't just understand how in the world this is for me, and so I'm going to be a little bit outside of what you guys have going on on the inside and not necessarily want to be a part of it because I just can't get there and believe. And then there's a third type of unchurched people, and that is those who we would call closed. And and they're not closed because they're literally unable to be reached. What do you do with a closed door? You open it. What do you do with a locked door? You grab a key. Like, there, there is something that would allow them to step across the line of faith, but it's gonna take a whole lot more work. And each one of these types of people has something very different that they need. 
It's one of the first steps that we do in, in being able to share the gospel with anybody is just identify where they are in faith. Somebody that's uninformed literally just needs information. They just need gospel in their language. They just need a Bible that they can read. They just need to know the literal story of God who made the world and sin that separates us from him, but the forgiveness that was bought for them on a cross where Christ bled and died. Like, they literally just need the information. And for those of us who live in Tennessee, or you come like I did from North Carolina or Alabama, like all you Southerners up in the room, you're thinking, well, I live in the Bible Belt. Everybody already knows that. Sometimes they learned it wrong, and they got to learn the truth. And so sometimes people that you're in direct contact with on the daily, they may have heard something, but it's misinformation, and it's out there. And, and they just need somebody that will finally unpack for them what the truth of the gospel really is. They just need information. The, the people who are antagonistic— you can give them all the answers that you want. And many times we assume, well, those people, they, they know the Bible just as good as I do. They can quote scripture left and right. The problem is that they don't need more information. They've got all the information that they need. What they need is a demonstration. A demonstration of God's love in a practical, tangible way to where they can see this faith thing that somebody else talks about, this faith thing that someone else proclaims, it actually works. And now I'm seeing it on display. I'm seeing that believers really can act like believers, that Christians really can be like Christ. They just need somebody to demonstrate for them the gospel, good news, in a life-transformed way. And those who are closed, they need cultivation. And that's just a fun word for demonstration over time. It means demonstration after demonstration after demonstration after demonstration of one person and then another person and then another person breaking down the wall that's been built in their life to where they can finally see that this gospel that one person lived, my grandmother, is the same thing that this gospel that one person lived, my roommate, that this gospel that one person lived, my neighbor, that this gospel that one church, that but literally breaking down the bricks that I've built up in my life to where the door is no longer closed, but I can see the light through the opening, and the light is Jesus. We gave numbers attached to each one of these different types of people. And back in the 1900s when I was teaching this information, I don't think much has changed since then. It was 60, 30, 10. And the blanket assumption that many of us made is that anybody that in our life who has not already come across the line of faith in their life is dramatically closed and antagonistic towards the gospel when the truth of the matter is most of the people that you would identify in your life who are unbelievers and just lack information. They're just uninformed about what the truth of the gospel actually is. The bulk of the people that you wrote down a couple of weeks ago, when we started this series and we gave you a card and we asked you to identify just five names of people that you are praying for, how about you go back through and put those in these categories? Who did you write down? Or maybe you want to grab a card this morning. They're on the tables at any of the entrances and take it with you because you missed that week. And you can write down those names, put it as a bookmark in your Bible or where you have that quiet time discipleship moment in your life or hanging on the bathroom mirror where you're more apt to see it every single day. These are people that you're continuing to pray for. Which one of those names is just uninformed and needs somebody to share the good news for them because they don't know it in their language? 
which one of them is antagonistic? Something has happened in life and it's pushed them far from faith and far from being able to trust in a God who made them love them and has a glorious plan for their life. And so you want to continue demonstrating who, God, who in your life. Jesus enters into the town of Samaria. It's in a story that's in John chapter 4. We won't go there this morning, but it's traumatic because one, Jesus goes to a place where good Jews did not go, and he talks to a woman, and men didn't talk to women, and he also talks to a woman with a reputation, which would have been something that would have been total taboo in their culture, and he goes and he finds this particular woman alone, and he begins to tell her the good news message. It's to her that Christ first reveals that he, in fact, is the Messiah. And you can read the whole story, but the, the cool thing is is that when she goes back to her community, to a people that did not want to talk to her, to a people who had already written her off, to a people who had already decided her fate, to a people who wouldn't even go to the well the same time of day as her, she goes to them and she's like, come and meet a man who told me everything about myself. Jesus knew his audience. And the reason you wrote down their names is because you know yours. You know their story. You know they're hurt. You know what they need. And so this is what you're praying for, that somehow or another, God would continue to use you to reveal good news to them. And it's ultimately what Jesus prayed for. Because all of this, it's in your notes this morning, all of this begins with and continues in prayer. Our intentionality like you being an intentional witness for the good news of Jesus Christ is literally an answer to Jesus' prayers and likely somebody else's prayers too. If you go to John chapter 17, it's the priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. He's literally about to be arrested and tried and convicted, and he's praying for his disciples. And in John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for these 12 that are about to be without me, that are about to be called to a mission greater than anything that they ever thought possible, not just for them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that was the Acts 2 church that was born. That was all of the believers that were dispersed around the Roman Empire to take faith to literally all of the nations. It included Gentiles, which they at this moment in time would not have understood it to possibly include. And it's Jesus literally on his hands and knees praying for you and me because we've believed because of that message. It says this, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am you in you. May they also be in us. Why? You like to underline things in your Bible. You like to circle notes on a page so that the world may believe you have sent me. Like Jesus literally prays for the unity of all believers in his present and then also in the future. And he literally prays it. Why? So that other people might believe that he was sent. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Let's not bypass the fact that three times in this prayer, Jesus is already praying for unity, desiring that we would be unified. You know what unifies us as a church? We're unified when we believe the same message. We're unified when we have the same values, when, when the same stuff matters to all of us and the same stuff that matters here, that one lost sheep and that one lost coin and that one lost sinner might be found when that matters uniformly to all of us. We're unified as a church and we're more effective as a church. He prays for their unity. He says, I in them, verse 23, and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That matters, church. We could pause and say that one of the reasons why some people are antagonistic to faith and close towards the gospel is because we have not always been a unified church. And he says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
The whole purpose of all of this is that the world might get a chance to know. And you and I living an intentional life is the answer to the prayer that Jesus literally prayed for us before he went to the cross for us, praying that we would be unified so that other people could see him and know why he came in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is giving his disciples a precursor to what life is like, and he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, and we're talking about this harvest figuratively. It's the the gathering of people into the kingdom of God. It says the harvest, people that need to be gathered into the kingdom of God is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what do you do? You ask the Lord of the harvest. You pray. You, You pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field the summer before my senior year in high school. It was the 1900s. You're gonna have to just go there with me in your mind. I remember praying a prayer that I did not know was like this, but it was like this, because back in those days, we believed rightly that 70% of kids who were homegrown in the life of the church, those who had gone to vacation Bible school like I did, those who had attended Sunday school like I did, those who had been baptized like I was, those who had gone to youth group and camp and mission trips like I did, what we believed rightly because of statistics was that 70% of those kids would grow up, graduate high school, and leave the doors of the church and never go back. And I was on that track having my foot in two completely different worlds. And the summer before my senior year, really compelled by what God was doing in my own life, I prayed a prayer for my high school, which at the time was the largest in the state of North Carolina, that God would somehow send someone to reach my friends for Christ, because I didn't think it was going to be me. Lord, would you send a worker? And he did. This kid named Mark Dellinger all of a sudden had been working behind the scenes, I didn't know him and I didn't know it, to create a Christian club that would meet before schools on Fridays to pray for friends in our community who did not know Christ and invite them to a place where they could hear a good news gospel message about Jesus. And we saw dozens, I dare say more than 100 kids my senior year of high school come to faith in Christ and many of them walk in the doors. I didn't know you were a Christian and I was like, I didn't know you were either. And they were like, I'm new. Because somehow or another, God sent a worker. And something amazing happened, and it solidified my fate as somebody who would go to college and choose to be a part of that instead of a part of what the world would continue to offer because somebody prayed that there would be a worker. You can pray for workers in your community, in your life. But you can also recognize that you might be the worker that somebody else has prayed for. That's intentionality. Prayer is response. It's our only right response to God's gift of salvation, and it's also a really vital part of his plan. The Apostle Paul, he prays in Ephesians chapter 3. It's literally a moment where he's praying for believers, and in verse 7, he says this, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, those who are uninformed, those who don't yet know that Jesus is God's son and that he came to this earth to express God's love and to provide a way for them to be united with God so that there could be a mm, mm, mm party in heaven on their behalf the moment they walk across the door. It's just uninformed people who are getting the information they need to make an informed decision about a God who loves them. That's what Paul was doing. 
And he says in verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, through the church then and through the church today, that's through me and you because we're unified believers that Christ prayed for who are now unleashed in the world to go and demonstrate his goodness to. That's what Paul's talking about. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. He's literally praying that it would be made plain and that it would be made known. It's a demonstration that somehow or another the gospel would be demonstrated in such a way that people who had been previously opposed to the good work, those rulers and those authorities in the world, people who had been previously opposed to God's work would now all of a sudden be open to his good gospel message in verse 11 according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. It's going to take cultivation. That's demonstration over time. That's demonstration even while you're suffering. Jesus never promised us that life would be easy because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And my goodness, wouldn't it just be so much easier? If the moment we expressed faith in Jesus Christ, we were literally miraculously transformed in that moment into the heavenly body that we would receive, and we get to go there and actually be a part of the party that's on our behalf, that it's not just a word that we read about the angelic party that's happening, the moment that we express faith in Jesus, we actually get to attend it. How many of y'all have seen that there was a party happening sometime that you were not invited to? Like, wouldn't it just be great If instead of leaving us here to deal with all of this, he took us there so we could be a part of, like, I'm hearing all the noise that's happening. Why can't I go? Why can't we just avoid all of this and go celebrate and be a part of that? It's so that other people might get to know, so that other people might believe, so that it may be made plain, that demonstration, that suffering, cultivation over time gets to happen. And then he says this, for this reason, verse 14, I kneel before my father. This is Paul praying for literally you and me, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. That's the word dunamis. You can understand that word and underline that word and understand what it means through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. And then ASB, it literally says, may be able to comprehend. That's literally to lay hold of, to wrap your mind around, to understand and to put your hands on the good news of God's gospel, which is a message of love and healing and forgiveness. It's the broken, lost things that God values so much being restored and repaired and brought into his family so that together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's literally praying for our salvation and then praying that we would be so eat up with Jesus that we can't do anything except overflow that love to other people so that somehow or another they cannot deny the fact that the great God of this universe through us is loving them. That's the gospel goal the way that we pray about this message, the way that we pray, and the message that we bring, it's literally the fulfillment of Christ's command. 
Last words he uttered to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven. He had already resurrected from the dead, hung out with them for a few weeks, told them great things. These are the last words. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it says this, but you will receive power. That's that same word dunamis, power that comes through the Holy Spirit, and it's that power being in us that allows us to have faith. It's that power that's in us that allows us to know and understand and wrestle and grapple and receive his love. That's the kind of power we get when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we get to be his witnesses, people who bring a testimony, people who share a word, those who provide the information that others need to know the gospel, those that live out a demonstration that allows them to see God's good news, and those who are willing to stay the course and cultivate that relationship no matter how long it takes to provide the truth that God is real and that he sent Jesus so that people might be transformed. You get to do that in Jerusalem. That's your home base where you live. You get to do that in Judea, the surrounding region. You get to do that in Samaria, your neighbor next door that you've previously not even darkened the place of. And not only that, to the uttermost parts of the world. But the Pharisees said, that man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus said, mm, mm, mm. there's a wild party in heaven even when just one of them comes to faith. And that's what we value. That's what we long for. That's what we desire to celebrate that life-transforming message going out so that people can experience Jesus. Who are you praying for? Who's on your list? Who's antagonistic and garnishes a little more prayer from you? Whose prayer are you the intentional answer? I know that there are moms and dads in this room who are praying for the 70%. Because their kids are the ones who were raised in the life of the church and then they left it and decided to walk away and have not yet returned. And they pray every single morning when they wake up that God would bring their son or daughter back. They pray every single night before they go to bed that God would bring their son or daughter back. And they pray every single day that God would send a worker into their son or daughter's life to go and reach them in a way that they themselves as mom and dad or grandma or grandpa can't yet do. They're literally praying. And guess what? You're their neighbor. It's not an accident. You're an answer to some mom's prayer because your neighbor next door grew up in church but then walked away. You're, you're, you're an answer to some parent or grandparent's prayer because your roommate doesn't have faith and doesn't want to hear it from home but might be willing to hear it from you. Who are you praying for and then whose prayer are you an intentional answer to that's what this gospel is about? says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 24 that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. That means Nashville, Tennessee, and that means Chisinau, Moldova. That this gospel will be preached in the entire world as a testimony of God's goodness to all nations, and then the end will come. You're a part of that plan. And the way that you pray for, and the way that you reach out to those who are around you, and so we want to close this morning just with a, a time of intercessory, like praying for others to come to faith prayer. So think about your list. Think about the names who are on it. Join me as we pray.
Father, we're grateful for this day, grateful for the chance to be in this place, and grateful for the gospel message of Jesus Christ, who loved us when we were unlovely, and who was willing to die so that we could be forgiven even though we didn't deserve it, and who has called us to a mission that is far greater than anything that we could have ever imagined to be a part of his life-saving message going out so that other people may come to faith in Christ. So guided by the prompts on the screen, I wonder if you would just join me in a time of prayer this morning. That first, that we might pray for the salvation of people in your home and in your family. And I know the agony of what it must be like to be so desperate that somebody that you love that dearly and somebody that you know that closely is not walking in faith. And so would you speak their names? Lord, prayers all over this room for our family, for a brother or a parent or a cousin or a grandparent or a child that's far from you that's on the outside and we're not those people that dismiss the possibility that regardless of how far they go your arms still get there and so we pray that you would send workers into their lives relationships of people that they aren't not even sure yet will be the ones who demonstrate God's love to them in such a way that calls them home Lord we pray for those in our family who are lost and far from you would you also take a moment to pray for the salvation of people in your community, in your, in your neighborhood? Like literally your neighbors down the street, those who live in your dorm building or your apartment complex, those who you literally see and probably wave to every day, but it's maybe even barely more than a nod or maybe somebody that you've known for years and you've borrowed their mower and they've borrowed yours too. And somehow or another you think to yourself, I, I just know that if today were the end for them, there would be no heavenly rave. There would be no joy because they're lost. So would you call them by name and pray that they might come to faith? As you continue to pray, would you pray for maybe even those that you don't know yet out in the community? People that you have direct contact with, though, those who are in your school or on your team or in your workplace. Somehow or another that God might provide an opportunity for you to cultivate a relationship and be able to provide good news of Jesus. Would you pray and ask that God would spring up salvation in our community? Next, would you pray for our Jerusalem, the city of Nashville, 
that revival would break out, that salvation would spring up, and that people by the hundreds and even the thousands would, would come to saving faith in Jesus because seeds are planted and seeds are watered and gospel of good news faith grows in people's lives. Would you pray for our city? Next, would you pray for our nation? We are not a unified nation, and we're, we can't blame them because we're not really a unified church. There are some common things that should matter that don't necessarily matter, and we get to be the barometer of biblical values to let people know that God loves them. And so would you pray for our nation? And as you do, also pray for church planting partners of Rolling Hills that are in other cities and other states. God, our partners in, in, in Phoenix and Atlanta and Miami might also see salvation spring up in their cities and that more people would come to faith than ever before because of their work and because of their long endurance. That God, we might see salvation spring up over this nation. finally, would you take a moment to pray for the whole world? To pray for our missional partner, Justice and Mercy International, specifically as they minister to unreached people, to those who are desperate and in, in, in need of the hope that only the gospel provides in Brazil and in Moldova, but then also other parts of the world where people need a Bible in their language, where they need a missionary in their community, where they need a church in their city to demonstrate to them the gospel good news message of Jesus Christ, to provide for them the hope of information about who he is that they've never heard before. And would you pray for our partners that are on the ground serving people in their community, literally being the hands and feet, Jesus with skin on, every single day serving in ways that we can't imagine so that people might experience not just warmth, that they might not just have food, that they might not just get medicine, but that they might also get Jesus. Father, we pray that we would be one in our mission and in our resolve to value every single lost soul and to know that it's worth our blood and sweat and tears and effort to see them come to faith. May we look hard and long to see lost ones found in our families and in this city and all over the world. And we pray today that your gospel would be preached in all the nations as a testimony and as a witness to how good you are so that the end will come and so that we can celebrate in heaven and understand fully for the first time what it was all for. We pray for those on our lists. We pray for those on our brothers and sisters' lists. We pray for those right in front of our faces, God, that you would help us to be a good part of the gospel message that helps them come to faith in Christ. It's in his name that we pray today. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. 
Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.